questions to the Prime Minister. Mr John Mann. Shall we begin, Mr Speaker, with question one? <laughs> Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. John Mann. Speaker, is that it? Is it the best the Prime Minister can do? Nothing for British pensioners, nothing for British workers, and as the Office for Budget Responsibility and the Treasury have both confirmed, his long-term economic plan is reliant on over a million new migrants entering this country before 2020. Has the Prime Minister got the bottle to confirm this inconvenient truth? Well, I tell you what we're doing for pensioners, and that is a triple lock on pensions. Never again the 75p rise they got from Labour, but either prices or wages or 2.5%. I can tell you what we're doing for people who want to work hard in Britain, that is create 2.3 million more jobs since I became Prime Minister. But yes, of course, I believe that we'll succeed more of a cut as a country if we get a good deal in Europe and stay in a reformed Europe. That will be good for jobs, good for investment, good for growth. And that's what I'm fighting for. Marcus Fish. People in my constituency of Yeovil are rightly proud of their contribution to the defence of our country, whether through the skill and readiness of the fleet air arm at Yeovilton or the local high-tech industry making and maintaining helicopters and equipment for our ships, submarines and aircraft and those who bravely serve in them. In the current circumstances of increasing security challenges and responsibilities and a worrying lack of commitment to defence in many European countries, I welcome the leadership the government has shown in committing to spend 2% of GDP on defence and ask whether my right honourable friend will meet with me to discuss ideas I have to build on local capabilities. My honourable friend is absolutely right that Yeovil makes a huge contribution to the defence of our country, not least through Augusta Westland, which is a great British business. We are committed to spending £178 billion on defence equipment over the next decade, something we're only able to do because we've got a strong economy. We've committed to that 2% and we'll make sure the money's well spent, making sure that we have the right equipment for our brave armed forces. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Tomorrow, Mr. Speaker, is World Cancer Day. Cancer is a disease that almost every family in this country has been affected by in some way or another. Two and a half million people in this country have cancer. There are members, of, members on both sides of this House who have received or are receiving treatment at the present time. A thousand people a day are diagnosed with cancer and they go through a trauma as soon as they are diagnosed. But in the last year, there's been a 36% increase in the number of people waiting beyond six weeks for vital diagnostic tests. Could the Prime Minister do something to bring that down? 
Well, first of all, I completely agree with the right honourable gentleman that the fight against cancer is one of the great fights of our time, and it's one we are determined to win. Now, when we look at how we treat cancer in our country, we're putting an extra £19 billion into our NHS, and specifically, while he's absolutely right, every, everyone in this House and every family in this country will know someone who's been affected by cancer, we are treating more patients. And let me give him the figures. Compared with 2010, over 645,000 more patients with suspected cancers have been seen. That is an increase of 71%, and almost 40,000 more patients have been treated for cancer. That is an increase of 17%. We've got more doctors, more nurses, more cancer specialists, but the fight against cancer is something we need to continue with. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, early diagnosis is absolutely essential in dealing with cancer. I think on that we all know. We know from personal experience on this. The Government's independent task force into cancer reported last year, and I quote, I quote, we currently have a serious shortage of radiologists in England. We need more of them. So could the Prime Minister explain why we're cutting by 5% the number of training places available for therapeutic radiographers? We need more radiologists, and we're getting them because we're putting more money into the NHS. But where he's absolutely right is that waiting times... A minute ago, the Honourable Lady was shouting about waiting times, and I'm going to answer the question on waiting times, because there are, there are three key targets on waiting times. First, that people should be seen by a specialist within two weeks of an urgent GP referral, and that we're meant to meet on 93% of occasions. We're currently meeting on 94.7. Uh, we need to make sure the first treatment comes within 31 days of diagnosis. That is extremely important. There's a 96% standard, and that we're meeting by 97.7%. But I accept when it comes to the first treatment within 62 days, the standard's 85%, we're at 83.5%, so we need to improve our performance. Now, when it comes to training, we're increasing training places in our NHS. We discussed nurses last week where we're actually opening up nurse training by making sure we train an extra 10,000 nurses. But the crucial point here is the money is there in our NHS because we've got a strong economy. 19 billion more money that would never be there if we followed his crazy economic plans. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, my specific question was on therapeutic radiographers. The Prime Minister did not answer that. Without an improvement in the numbers available, there will be a problem over treatment. That must be very obvious to absolutely everybody. The Cancer Task Force also asked, and I quote, for a radical upgrade in prevention and public health. Programmes like stopping smoking and anti-obesity are absolutely essential to stop the spread of cancer and indeed to help people to live better lives so they don't get developed cancer at all. But if we cut, as he's proposing, £200 million from the public health budget, surely that is going to lead to an increase in cancer with all the trauma that goes with that and indeed the greater cost for the rest of the community. Could he explain why he's making this cut? Well, first of all, let me just come back to on diagnostic radiographers, because there are actually 1,800 more diagnostic radiographers than when I became Prime Minister in 2010. And for the, the interests of... Uh, 
factor. That is a 15% increase. And the reason there's an increase is that we said we would put more money into the NHS, a real terms increase, something that we were told by the then Shadow Health Secretary was irresponsible. Now, we ignored Labour and we put money into the health service, and as a result, there's been a 15% increase in diagnostic uh, radiographers. Now, when it comes to the rest of the cancer plan, the money is being invested. There's a key difference, though, between England and Wales and something he can help with, which is there's a Labour government in Wales. And whereas we've got a cancer drugs fund, they have no cancer drugs fund in Wales. So he needs to sort that out with that uh, Labour administration. As for public health, under this government, real advances have been made on public health, uh, including uh, smoking rules in the backs of cars, including plain paper packaging, including ring fencing, public health budgets, all done under the Conservatives, not done under Labour. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister is responsible for the health service in England. Wales is a devolved matter, and he must be aware... aware that cancer survival rates are improving better in Wales than in any other part of the UK. But my question, my, my question was, my question, my question, Mr. Speaker, was about the cut in public health budgets and the effect that has on cancer care. So, could the Prime Minister tell us when was the last time that the NHS target for starting cancer treatment was actually met within the 62 days required? As I've said to him, of the three big targets, we're meeting the specialist within two weeks target, we're meeting the first treatment within 31 days of diagnosis treatment, we're currently falling short of the 62 days target, something which I actually said in the answer question two, but uh, he hasn't got round to it till question five. I think uh, the cogs need to turn a little bit faster. Now, he cannot wash his hands for the situation in Wales. Labour run Wales. And what have Labour done in Wales? Labour have cut the NHS in Wales. Now, it's now emerging what Labour's great plan is. They want to cut the NHS in Wales and they want to put up income tax on hard-working people in Scotland. That's right. What are they going to do to radiographers in Scotland? Put up their taxes. What are they going to do to nurses in Scotland? Put up their taxes. What are they going to do to dentists in Scotland? Put up their taxes. We now know Labour's plan. Higher taxes for more welfare. They've learnt nothing in the last decade. Mr Speaker, the last time the two-month target was met was 19 months ago. The Prime Minister must be aware of that, and I'm pleased if he's taking action to make sure that doesn't continue or get any worse. I want to turn to another issue that affects cancer payments, patients, and that is the uh, recently deleted provisions in the Welfare Reform and Work Bill that would have taken £30 per week from ESA claimants in the Work-Related Activity Group. Martin contacted me this week, who says, OK, it's very funny for many members opposite. It's not funny for Martin. Martin has, a, Martin has a close friend who has breast cancer 
and I quote, is obviously too unwell to work, and cuts will put her into hardship at a time when she's most vulnerable. There are 3,200 people with cancer hit by this cut to the ESA. Will the Prime Minister now confirm when that matter returns to the Commons, he will ensure the Lord's position is upheld and people like her do not suffer the cut that he wanted to make in the first place? Let me explain to the right hon. Gentleman and to the House the situation. As everybody knows, there are two sorts of employment and support allowance. There are the work-related activity group, who who are able to train for some work, and then there's the support group, who go on getting employment and support allowance indefinitely. That is the situation, and what we've said is that in future, the work-related activity group should be paid at the same rate as job seekers' allowance. But that is for future claimants, not for existent existing claimants who continue to be paid at the same rate. And of course, if someone has cancer and can't work, they should be in the support group. And we've had this issue looked at again and again and again, and they should be, if they can't work, they go on getting the welfare payments they need. That is what a compassionate Conservative government does. But I have to um, come back to him because he cannot wash his hands for the situation in Wales. Hip operations in England take 75 days waiting times on average. In Wales, it's 197 days. Diagnosis of pneumonia takes two weeks longer. Treatment of cataracts, hernias, heart operations take two months longer than in England. Labour are running Wales. He's responsible for Labour. Pick up the phone, tell them to stop cutting our NHS. Mr Speaker, it's very interesting the Prime Minister did not answer the question I put, which is whether or not he will proceed with a cut in ESA to 3,200 people with cancer at the present time. I hope he thinks seriously about this and does not proceed with this proposal. He will find that Macmillan Cancer Support, Rethink Mental Health Illness, Parkinson's UK are all united in opposing this cut because of the effect it will have on people with a range of very serious conditions. The Prime Minister used to say that those with the broadest shoulders should bear a greater load. Can it be right that cancer patients and those with disabilities on £102 per week really are those with the broadest shoulders who should bear this cut. Please, Prime Minister, think again and don't try and reverse the decision of the House of Lords on this important matter. The the people with the broadest shoulders are the highest earners in this country and they're paying a higher share of tax than they ever did under Labour. And that money is paying for our NHS, is paying for our welfare system. And I answer the question very directly. If you're an existing claimant on employment and support allowance, your welfare isn't changing. But in future, those people who are able to get back to work, we should help them to get back to work. That is what a compassionate country does. But it's quite clear what Labour's policy is. Cut the NHS in Wales, put up taxes in Scotland to pay for more welfare. That's not the approach that this country needs. David Warburton. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will, of course, know that the West Country is becoming ever more the envy and the engine room of the rest of the country, with, with dozens of companies moving 
from the dark recesses of London to the bright sunlight of the West. So will he keep supporting what they're now calling Somerset's Silicon Gorge by maintaining investment in our roads, in our rail and of course in our digital infrastructure? Certainly keen to support um, Silicon Gorge. For, for a moment, I, I thought it said Silicon George for a moment. I was a bit worried about that. But um, look, I think it's absolutely essential we have a balanced economy, and that means a strong economy in the west of our country, as well as in the south, as well as in the north. Uh, we are investing in the vital transport infrastructure, not least uh, the vital roads to the west country, and improving uh, rail uh, links as well, as I saw for myself yesterday in, in Chippenham. But we also need to make sure that this broadband rollout is really effective across the country, and that has got to be a big focus. Getting to those last 10% of homes in so many rural areas is going to be absolutely crucial to make sure they're not left out. Yeah. Angus Robertson. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The timing of the forthcoming European Union <laughs> referendum is extremely important. Today, the First Ministers of Scotland, of Wales and of Northern Ireland have jointly called for a commitment by the UK Government not to hold the EU referendum in June, which would clash with elections to the devolved legislatures. Will the Prime Minister give that commitment today? Well, first of all, there is no agreement, and so no date has yet been fixed for the referendum. We discussed this a lot in this House of Commons, and we legislated to make sure we wouldn't hold the referendum at the same time as Scottish or Welsh elections. The former uh, First Minister of Scotland, who's not in his place today, said it would be wrong to hold a referendum within six weeks of those elections, and I can guarantee that won't happen. Angus Robertson. Uh, Mr Speaker, the First Ministers in, of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland have written today saying that they believe holding a referendum in June, and I quote, risks confusing issues when clarity is required, and call on the Prime Minister to again, I quote, defer the EU referendum at least until later in the year. Why will the Prime Minister not respect the electorates and the governments of Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland and give that commitment today? First of all, I do respect the former First Minister of Scotland who said that six weeks was what was necessary. I also respect the electorates of England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland on the basis that I think people are perfectly capable of making up their minds in a local election or in a Scottish parliamentary election or in a Welsh Assembly election and then a period of some weeks afterwards making up their mind all over again on the vital question of the European Union. So no date has been fixed. There must be a six-week gap, but I think, frankly, he's looking for things to complain about. This House has voted for a referendum. It'd be pretty odd if, having voted for a referendum, we then spend ages debating about not having one. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be alarmed to hear that a shop in Gillingham selling illicit tobacco was making £25,000 Excessive chuntering from a sedentary position for a number of Scottish National Party members who wanted an orderly hearing for their leader. The Honourable Gentleman is entitled to be heard. I appeal to the Honourable Gentleman to start his question again. Let's hear it. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be alarmed to hear that a shop in Gillingham selling illicit tobacco was making £25,000 a week, destroying the local economy, damaging people's health, and nationally, this trade is costing the economy two billion a year. Will the government look at increasing the statutory maximum penalty 
for this offence to bring it in line with the supply of Class C drugs? Well, I'll certainly look at the uh, issue my honourable friend raises. As, as far as I can see, uh, HMRC, working very closely with Border Force, has been highly effective at reducing this tax gap of people selling illegal tobacco and have closed off about 1.3 billion of tax gaps since the year 2000. They do have a wide range of sanctions to deal with illicit sales, including seizure, penalties and criminal prosecutions. They prosecuted almost 800 different people, I think, in the last uh, two years. So I think the powers are there, but I'll have a check and see if more is needed. And McLaughlin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent works for the DWP and he tells me that the government is correct when they deny that staff have targets set for sanctioning benefits. They're not called targets, they're called aspirations. Can I ask the Prime Minister, with the rollout of in-work benefit sanctions, how many of his own low-paid DWP colleagues should my constituent aspire to sanction this year? What I'd say to the Honourable Lady is that sanctions in a benefit system are important. We want a benefit system that's there for people who can't find a job, who need support. But it's not, it shouldn't be a lifestyle choice. And if people can work, they should work. That's why we have a sanction system. And I believe that sanction system is fairly applied. Mr Christopher Chope. Mr Speaker, may I share my right honourable friend's disappointment that despite all his hard work, the European Union is forcing him to abandon our manifesto pledge uh, to change the benefit system for migrants? And will my right honourable friend confirm that, sadly, the only way in which we are going to be able to regain control over our own borders is by leaving the European Union? I have great respect for my uh, right honourable friend, but we don't agree on this one. We said in our manifesto that uh, anyone coming to Britain from the EU searching for work should not get unemployment benefit, and we've fulfilled that promise. We've said if, if within six months they don't have a job, they should go home. We've fulfilled that promise. We said that people should not be able to come here and send British child benefit back to their families, and we have secured that they will only get child benefit at a local rate. And we said no more something for nothing. The idea that you could come here, claim immediately from our in-work benefit system, without paying in was not right. And I said we would secure a four-year gap, and we have. People said it would be impossible, but that is what we put in place. Now, it is a negotiation, but these are good proposals that I think will have the backing of the British people, because they mean no more something for nothing. And that's a vital value for Britain. Ruth Smith. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over 2,500 people are directly employed by the ceramics industry in Stoke-on-Trent, North and Kidsgrove. These and tens of thousands of British manufacturing jobs are at risk if China is granted uh, manufacturing uh, market economy status. It's my first question. The Prime Minister is very happy to sell off the family silver, but can he guarantee that he won't sell off the family crockery? We we want to support uh, industry in the potteries, and that is why we're helping manufacturing with R&D tax credits, we're helping with apprenticeship schemes, we're helping with a whole range of measures, not least the energy-intensive industry measures, which are very, very important uh, for the constituency she represents. That's what we want to see. Now, the, the issue with market economy status is a separate issue, as I've said before. Even if they get that status, they can't dump steel products or other things in 
into European markets and they can be fine. And what we should be doing is making sure we're driving open markets for us to sell to China. They are the ones with the massive growth in the middle class taking place of hundreds of millions of people joining that. And there are many great products made in Stoke that should be sold in China. Andrew Turner. Sir, the Isle of Wight Council can balance the books this year but fear they will be unable to do so next year. Would my right honourable friend confirm the government's willingness to work with them over the coming months to help them to access existing sources of finance or find new ways to address the island's unique circumstances? Well, we're very happy to work with the authorities on the Isle of Wight. I think I'm right in saying that when it comes to spending power, actually the spending power is uh, increasing slightly in the next year. But what we are doing with this uh, settlement for local government is because overall it's a relatively flat cash settlement over the five-year period, we're allowing councils to use their reserves and also to sell unwanted property and use that money directly to provide services to bridge uh, over the period of the next five years. So very happy to look at the circumstances of the Isle of Wight, but I believe this is a fair settlement. Stella Creasy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has told us today that more money is going into the NHS. Let me tell him that my local hospital trust is spending £1.5 million a week on interest payments alone to Innisfree for its PFI deal. saw sense about the need to deal with the damage that high-cost credit was doing to individuals, when will he deal with these legal loan sharks of the public sector? Well, you know, sometimes it takes a long time to unwind the damage done by a Labour government. She's absolutely right. One of the first things we did in government was to launch a review of Labour's PFI and begin an initiative to extract savings and give better value for money for all of the projects, including Bart's. What we're seeing in her own health economy is we're seeing there are more GPs uh, in the NHS. And in terms of the NHS Waltham Forest Clinical Commissioning Group, next year they're getting a cash increase of 3.7%. That is money provided because we're putting more money into the NHS. Mr Speaker, a lone parent in my constituency has described her experience of the child maintenance group as appalling, with a lack of communication being passed from pillar to post, a failure to act on evidence and not progressing with enforcement. Will the Prime Minister arrange for the Secretary of State to meet with my constituents to discuss the particular issues around the enforcement of child maintenance when non-resident parents are gaming the system and depriving children of the support they're entitled to. I'm very happy to help arrange that meeting, and I know my uh, honourable friend, 
uh, speaks, as many of us find, in our own constituency surgeries, particularly about the behaviour of the non-resident parent and how they give everyone the runaround and don't fulfil their duties by helping to pay uh, for the children that they are responsible for. As she knows, we introduced a new statutory child maintenance service for parents who are unable to make a family-based arrangement. It should be bringing speedier processing of applications, simpler, cal simpler calculations and faster enforcement action. But I'll make sure she has the meeting that she needs to straighten out this case. Tom Elliott. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I if the Prime Minister can comment on recent events in, in Northern Ireland regarding the investigations into Steakknife, the alleged informer, and will he ensure that there are equal investigations into the likes of the Enniskillen bomb, the T-Ban bomb, uh, and other major atrocities by terrorist organisations? Well, I, I will look carefully at uh, what he says. We have to make sure that we uh, look at all of these things in a fair and reasonable way, and perhaps I can write to him about the issue. Julian Knight. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 38 billion pounds a year is currently spent on pensions tax relief, with three quarters of that going to higher rate taxpayers who need it the least. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that it would be a huge boost to social justice in this country if pensions tax relief was reformed to a single flat rate, which would benefit millions of hard-working Britons? Well, I know my honourable friend speaks on this issue with considerable expertise because of the career he had uh, before coming to this House. So he brings a lot of uh, uh, knowledge about this sector. Look, he's right that uh, there are great costs related to pension tax relief. That's why the Chancellor published a consultation last summer to see whether the system should be reformed. But as the saying goes, uh, taxes are a matter for the Chancellor and his budget. Margaret Greenwood. Mr. Speaker, I welcome the government's announcement of further support for child refugees last, last week, as far as it goes. A nine-year-old girl who lives in my constituency has recently asked me what we're doing to help refugee children. Of course, what a child refugee needs most is a home. When are we going to offer a home to 3,000 unaccompanied refugee children in Europe? Well, well first of all, let me uh, say to the Honourable Lady what we've done so far. She knows about, obviously, the 20,000 relocation scheme where we got 1,000 people in by Christmas, including many vulnerable children. That is going well. I think less people, fewer people are aware of the fact that in the last year, through our normal asylum processes, we took something like 2,500 unaccompanied children last year. And if you look at Kent Social Services and the pressure they're under. They've got something like a thousand children that they are looking after and obviously facing great pressures on. I think another point that people don't always recognise is, of course, unaccompanied children in Europe, if they claim asylum in the country they're in, under the Dublin regulations, if they have direct family in Britain, they can come to Britain. So we think that is the right approach, taking some more people from the region, but being very cautious because all the evidence shows, uh, even if it's an orphan child, they may well have some broader family they're connected to, and it's better to keep them with them. Lady Rutley. Thank you, Mr Speaker. <laughs> Given the security threats faced by this country, whose policies are most dangerous? Those in Scotland who want to scrap our nuclear deterrent completely, or those on the party opposite who want to keep Trident submarines without nuclear missiles? <laughs> Well, it, it is uh, hard to choose from the wrong or, or the bizarre. You can take your pick. Uh, Labour's latest plan is to use Trident submarines to transport military personnel around the world. It's uh, the most expensive Uber service that anyone has ever thought of. You really do, do wonder, what on earth will they think of next? Martin Doherty. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Prime Minister may be aware of the case of my constituent Lisa Brown, whose family were notified by Spanish police authorities on the 10th of November 2015 as a missing person, though could have been missing since the 6th of November. Lisa's mother Catherine, uh, her sister Helen and brother Craig have visited Spain several times since and have met both with Spanish authorities and with UK councillor staff. While the Spanish authorities state they are actively working on this case, there have been various pieces of misinformation in the Spanish media which we know not to have been helpful. Can I call upon the Prime Minister to seek assurances on behalf of Lisa's family from the Spanish authorities here in London and in Madrid, as well as the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, that everything possible has been done to ensure that Lisa's family can get the answers they so desperately need. I will certainly look into this case and make sure, uh, after the Honourable Gentleman has raised it so clearly, that the Europe Minister meets with him to try and make sure everything uh, is done for Lisa's family that's possible. Spencer, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Um, further to the uh, question from the Honourable Lady to, from Walthamstow, my uh, Shield Forest Hospital Trust is also wrestling with a disastrous PFI signed under the Labour government. Luckily, there's light at the end of the tunnel as Nottingham Derby Trust look to take over Shield Forest so Hospitals. Kindly. But can the Prime Minister assist them in any way in solving this enormous mess left by the previous Labour government? Yeah. 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 Uh, they are extremely difficult to solve these PFI contracts because of course they were entered into and signed. My understanding is that Monitor and the Care Quality Commission are absolutely clear that Sherwood needs a long-term partnership and I understand as he says the Trust plans to announce its preferred partner in mid-February uh, and that hopefully will help it to support the services that we need but I'll look carefully and make sure the Health Secretary looks carefully at the suggestion he makes. Gwen Bradshaw. Mr Speaker. Following the shocking official report into the murder here in London of Alexander Litvinenko, when will he and his Chancellor take some meaningful action to tackle the dirty Russian money and property here in London that helps sustain the Putin regime? Well, first of all, the report was shocking, although, as the Home Secretary said at the time, this confirmed what the previous Labour government understood to have happened. But nonetheless, when you read the report all over again, it is deeply shocking what happened, and that is why we've taken uh, action uh, in terms of asset freezes and the other measures described by the Home Secretary. In terms of the uh, problem of so-called hot money coming into London, I made a, a speech recently explaining that we are doing more than other countries in terms of transparency, in terms of beneficial ownership, who owns what in terms of companies, and we're also going to do the same in terms of property. And I think that is one of the best ways, not just to make sure we don't have illegal Russian money, but make sure that corrupt money stolen from African uh, taxpayers and other continents doesn't end up in London. Johnny Mercer. Thank you. When I first came to this house, I spoke of that great stain upon this nation when it comes to our care of our armed forces veterans and doing our duty in this house by those who have done our bidding. Here's a sentence from an email on the weekend. I've not had any letter nor any warning. I was told after our sweetie that was it and not to think about it anymore, but now I dread the post every day. The Prime Minister has already intervened to tighten up the historical allegations process and for that I thank him. But will my right honourable friend pledge to look even more closely at the support we are giving? 
so that what we want to deliver and what is actually delivered are the same thing. Well, I'm very happy to look at that specifically. On uh, Al Swedi, I've been very clear about what went wrong and how unacceptable it was. And let me repeat again, we'll continue to provide our fullest support to those going through investigations, including providing legal advice. And also, we will crack down on any legal firm that we found has abused the system. Now, we do because we have got the military covenant now written into law and a covenant group that meets under the excellent chairmanship of my right honourable friend, the member for West Dorset, we have an opportunity not just to raise but to try and properly tackle these issues in a systematic way. Stephen Kinner. Mr Speaker, the dumping of Chinese steel is crippling the British steel industry. The granting of market economy status to China would dramatically reduce scope for taking anti-dumping measures. Why then is the Prime Minister supporting market economy status for China? Is it because he puts cozying up to Beijing ahead of protecting British industry? I put helping British industry first. That is why we cut taxes for British industry. We're cutting the energy bills for British industry. We're helping with apprenticeships. We're busting open markets abroad so the British industries can succeed. And crucially for the steel industry, we're investing in our infrastructure and trying to make sure there's a real forward order book for British steel. But I think the Honourable Gentleman is wrong. We should take these two issues separately. If there is illegal dumping, then we will support action in the European Union. And that can be done in spite of the status that a country has. We've actually put those sorts of burdens on America before today. So I don't think it's right to connect the two issues in the way he does. Finally, Mary Robinson. Mental health issues take many forms and services for those suffering from eating disorders are often overlooked. And yet they cause intolerable distress and suffering. As health devolution in Manchester gathers pace, Does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is an important opportunity to secure better mental health service provision, particularly for children and young adults in Cheadle? I think my honourable friend is absolutely right. I don't see any reason why the devolution of resources to Greater Manchester under this landmark deal uh, will disadvantage mental health. I think, if anything, it will probably lead to even greater priority being given to mental health as people can see the connections between mental health and holding back opportunity for so many people. We are investing more uh, in terms of children's mental health and giving a greater focus, particularly to eating disorders, where we do see, tragically, a, a real growth in this problem. So the money is there and the devolution should help. Order.